Chapter Nine of The Gray Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Gray Man by S. R. Crockett. Chapter Nine. Cartel of Contumely. Now, the place where I took my leave of that pleasant, reputable treason breeder, John Muir of Ockendrang, was within a quarter of a mile of Dalrymple Bridge, where it strides across Dune Water. I am persuaded that when I left him a little behind, I saw him heave up his hand, for I got just a waft of it with the tail of my eye. Yet, though I could not swear it conscious clear in any court in the land unless absolute need were i am still persuaded in my mind as much as i was then that the douce and gracious man intended that i should fall into an ambush if i proved overly hard-bitten for his projects and temptings so as i came near to the bridge-end i looked very warily about and methought that i spied the black muzzle of a hackbutt where there was no need of such like now hackbutts do not even in carrick grow on hedges though in these days a man might somewhat easily make the mistake of thinking so i judged therefore that there would be an ugly face behind the gun and a finger on the slow match that intended me no good as i paused Turning about on my saddle, I saw a fellow rise out of the copsewood before me and run like a rabbit to the bridge end. That was enough for me. Fighting is well enough, and I can be doing with it, for it is the path of glory and of fortune, but black treachery I cannot stomach. So, being mightily angry, but resolved like steel to show John Muir and his butchers that I despised them, I turned Don Nicholas's head and set him straight at the deeps of Dune Water, where for it there was none. In a moment we were splashing in the pool, and in another Don Nicholas had thrown back his head and taken to the swimming like a duck. It was but a little way across, but far enough for me for I saw the fellows running along the bank from the end of the bridge, blowing on their matches and bidding me to stop. Now that was not a likely thing for me to do, being, praise the Lord, in my sober senses. But when I got to the other shore and set my horse to climb the steep, which was by a mill on the waterside, I was somewhat dashed to find one sitting quiet on his horse within ten paces of me, with his fingers on his sword and his pistol bended in his hand. I apprehended, in a moment, that this must be James Muir, the younger, of Auchendrain, and I thought that I was as good as dead. Yet I held up my hand and cried, Herald, and say conduct, though I knew that with such men as the Muirs I might just as well and usefully have cried, Bubbly Jock, or Pigeon Pie. The young man in war-gear, who sat on his horse above me, did not move nor lift his weapon to fire. "'Tell me,' he said calmly, "'who may you be that cries, safe conduct, and herald, on the lands of curse?' I answered him that I was Launcelot Kennedy, and to effectuate something with him I added of Kira, for I thought it was unlikely that he would know the hill country well enough to remember that my father was still alive, which I take to have been an innocent enough deception, in that it hurt no one. 
and in this I was right, for he answered at once, I am David Crawford, the younger of curse. But what said you of safe conducts? So I showed him the rings, and told him that my business lay by word of mouth with his father. Thereafter I laid before him the matter of the scoundrels running at me nigh to Dalrymple Bridge. Indeed, we could even then see them retiring in a group. Let us ride to the bridgehead now, and see if they will molest us. And this we did. But none stirred, nor showed themselves. So, he said, let us ride on to curse. As we went our way, we had much excellent discourse of the news of the countryside, and also of Edinburgh, and its customs. I found David Crawford a fine and brave fellow, and regretted heartily that he was not on our side of the blanket, a thing which, indeed, I was too apt to do. I considered it an unfair thing that all the shavelings should be ours, and all the paladins theirs, yet I was comforted by the thought that it was easier to be distinguished among the men of Cassilis than with bargaining, for in the kingdom of the blind the one-eyed man is king, as the saw hath it. Thus we came at last to the place of curse. It was a handsome tower, with additions that made it almost a castle standing upon a rising ground by a loch, and overlooked at safe distance by some high rocks and scars, which David Crawford told me were called the Craigs of Kyle. It was the slowest time of the afternoon when we arrived at the ancient strength, and David, saying that his father might not be wakeful, slipped on ahead in order to assure me a proper reception. So, at least, he said, and at the doorway I was met by many men at arms, with pikes in their hands and feathers in their bonnets, and there came forth to meet me eight of the twelve brothers of Curse, all bareheaded and with swords at their sides. In the background I could see the cause of my adventuring Curry, the Laird of Kelwood, bowing and smirking like a French dancing master, but I never so much as looked his way. "'From whom come you, and in peace or war?' said David Crawford, just as though I had not told him, which was quite right and proper, for these commissions of diplomacy should be carried out with decorum and observance. I come, said I, from the Earl, and also from the tutor of Cassilis, and am commissioned to speak with the Laird of Kirse in their name, and on their behalf. With that I was conducted through a lesser into a greater hall, at the upper end of which was a raised platform two feet or so above the floor. The hall and dais were alike strewed with yellow bent grass, such as grows upon the sides of the hills and on the seashore. On the dais stood a great oaken chair with a hood about it, and in it there sat the noblest old man that ever I saw. He seemed by his beard and hair to be ninety years of age, at the least, yet his natural color was in his cheek, and he was gleg both to hear and to speak. So they introduced me, and I went up to the old man of curse to show my credentials, bending my knee, but not near to the ground, in token of courtesy. Come hither, David, and tell me what are the posies on the rings. So David came near, and, looking at my hand, he read that motto of the Earl of Cassellus, Advise a fen, it read. Aye, aye, that will do. Let the lad speak his message, said the old man. 
then in the midst of threescore crawfords i set myself with my shoulders squared and my hand on my hip to speak the message of my lord i do not deny that i liked the job well enough for it was the sort which enables a man to make a figure thus to stand alone among a host of enemies and speak a challenge of defiance master david crawford laird of kerse and skelton said i giving out his titles like a herald i bear you greeting and worship from john earl of cassillis and sir thomas kennedy of colzine tutor of that ilk the old man bowed in token of respect for the formal courtesy my principals bid me say that they request and demand as their right that you shall deliver up to them the laird of kelwood their liege vassal presently rebel and fugitive and also that you render back the box of treasure and the stones of price which they have good reason to believe their vassal aforesaid hath concealed with you these things being done they assure you of their friendship and support in all your undertakings so i gave it out clearly formally dispassionately and without heat as one that is accustomed to high commissions as i spoke i saw the old man grip his staff as though it had been a sword and ere i had done he had half risen from his seat as though he would have struck me to the ground and you dare you beardless berkey to bring such a message to crawford of curse in his own hall and among his own folk but i stood still with my hand on my side as before looking at him with a level brow knowing that without a weapon in my hand and with a double safe conduct on my finger i had by far the best of it i though there had been a thousand crawfords in the hall father father said david from behind as one accustomed to soothe the old man's anger i can i can bravely the laddie has to bring this message but scraping johnny of cassillis shall rue this day tell him he cried his voice rising to a wild scream that i have seen no dope of the dirty money which he hawks out of every dub with his swine's snout the laird of kelwood indeed i have with me and here he shall bide while it likes him not for his own sake for he is small credit either to kennedy or crawford to his face i say it but because Kerse is an eagle sitting on high and it has not yet come to it that he must forsooth throw down so much as a well-piped bone at the bidding of cassillis i bowed to the ground as having gotten my answer but i had another part of the piece still to play and the doing of it liked me even better for i saw that this time i should anger not only the old man but the young then said i in the name of john earl of cassillis whom ye call swine snout i am charged to tell you that if ye will not deliver the man and the thing that are his just right then will my master come and gar ye be fain to deliver them then there went a murmur of scorn and anger all about the hall and the white locks of the old man fairly bristled on his head but i spoke on level as a clerk that reads his lessons hearken ye to the word of cassillis the last word gin ye refuse he will come on lamaste proximate and in token of ignominy and despite he will tether a brood sow upon the lands of curse and not a crawford shall steer her for the length of a summer's day 
what a shout of anger went up from about the hall the blades of the young men fairly blazed from their sheaths the old man rose in his chair and lifted his staff by the middle two tall servitors that stood at the back of the hall lighting the dusk with torches sprang forward ready to catch him should his strength fail there were at least thirty swords pointed at my breast and one great lout threatened me with a lockbar axe but with my heart swelling i stood still and calm amid the graceless tumult like one of the carven stones which look out from the niches of crossrigal motionless i stood as i had done from the first for i was a herald with an earl's message an insult an insult an insult in the hall of curse kill the black kennedy they cried gnashing on me with their teeth like wild beasts i declare i never was happier in my life knowing that i had made that day a figure which would not be forgotten and that my bearing among them would be spoken of over all carrick and kyle how i wish that marjorie kennedy could have seen me and i smiled as i thought how little it mattered after this whether or no nell kennedy turned tailpayant i will take the smile off his black kennedy's face with a pulk of this lockbear axe cried my great lout but indeed i smiled not at him nor any of his sept but at the thought of nell kennedy then when they had roared themselves out in anger they became as i take it some deal ashamed of the hideous uproar and of a sudden were silent as with a stave thrust in the joint and a twist of the wrist one may shut off a noisy mill-aid so i got in my last word thereafter john earl of cassillis bids me say that he will leave not one standing stone in the house of curse upon another for the despite and contempt done to him as its overlord then the loud anger gave place to silent deadly hate and it was some time before any could speak david the younger would have spoken but his father waved him down fighting for utterance hear ye sir and bear this message and defiance to your master he has put a shame on us in this our own house tell him that he may bring his swine to curse every lamas day and fetch with him every swineherd kennedy from every midden head betwixt cassillis and the inch there are plenty stout crawfords here in kyle that can flit them ay though his hand that was once as the axe hand of the bruce be shrunken now and though i lean on these bearers of torches because of mine age tell him that there are twelve stout sons behind me who can render taunt for taunt blow for blow to king or kennedy and tell him that crawford of curse knows no overlord in earth or heaven least of all john kennedy fifth earl of cassillis then i bowed as one might before some of the glorious pagan gods of whom domine mir has tales to tell for indeed that was an answer worth taking back and being a man i know a man when it is given me to see him so with my face to him still and my bonnet in my hand i made my way off the dais there i turned me about and as an earl's spokesman should set my still bonnet on my head to go out alone through the crowded hall but the old man stayed me 
Lancelot Kennedy of Kirak, he said courteously, to you and not to your master, I say this. Ye have well delivered an ill message. May ye never get your fill of fighting, and at the last may ye die in harness. I would to God ye were my thirteenth son. So I bowed again, and for respect I walked backwards to the door of the great hall with my head again bare. Then I helmed myself and passed without to Dom Nicholas. There was now a full muster of Crawfords in the courtyard, a hundred of them, I should say, at least, but no murmur arose among them as, helped by a groom, I mounted and moved slowly through the throng, having saluted David the Younger and his brothers with my hand. Then, as I rode through the gateway, the feet of Dom Nicholas clattering on the stones, I was aware of a troop of twelve that followed me, all well-accoutred men, riding in order, and I knew the author of that guard. It was David, who had resolved to see me safe across Dalrymple Bridge, and so gave me the attendance of a prince. Then knew I how excellent a thing it is to have to do in peace or war with gentlemen, for to do them justice, the Crawfords of Curse were neither landlopers or ambuscaders. End of chapter 9